Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. You're done with your Oreo. Yeah. <laughs> done with my Oreo. Okay, good. Um, and do we really know what happened? The brother did. The brother. That's what I thought, too. I mean, that seems like kind of obvious. Hey, do you want to talk about death? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm that's a murdery thing. Things are different when we start recording, even though, like, I feel like there's like this weird line, and we're like, okay, like, every, people are listening to us now. Some people, a couple of people, yeah, a couple of really important, special people, super cool cats, all the cool kids, right? All the cool kids, yeah, no, we, we've been, we've been getting some good listens actually. So, what, huh, mumbler, yes, I'm the mumbler, that's my nickname. Uh, oh, this is mystery murdery thing. Mm. I'm Chloe. I'm Mario. Um, this is you already said that. We're going. <laughs> this is still mystery murder thing. Mystery murdery thingy. Yeah, we're gonna get back mystery to some of the thingy. some of the murdery stuff. Yeah, this is a double murdery episode. Murder, yes. murder, 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 yes. murder. So yeah, we've been. I've been very do, doing a lot of thingy stuff. Lately, with the Me whole too. what is what is what what so what is what we'll get back to what, things what, we, what, things we can what? get our our hands around a little bit more like you know a mass, like a person's neck a mass killer <gasps> that was bad <laughs> you know people getting cut up you know su- oh, super super up super lighthearted stuff great <laughs> for this one for me um, so I guess I'll go first no I want to go first should we play rock paper scissors okay. Okay. This is how this is like me and Mario's like equal actor egos like fighting it out right now. Right. No. I want what I, I want. Go first. No. Okay. Okay. Right. 
Okay. Rock, so we do it on shoot. So we okay. say rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Okay, cool. okay. Rock, rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Rock, paper, scissors, shoot. Oh, fine. You can go first. Yes. Paper beats rock, which doesn't make sense, but it's there. Take your glasses off. Okay, so Chloe, what are you talking about today? I'm talking a bit. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna play with your hair while you talk. Yeah. Okay. No complaints there. Okay, cool. I'm talking about uh, Georgie Markov, aka the Umbrella Murder. Right. Ooh. I think it's, ah. I think it's like Georgie or something, because it's Russian, right? Bulgarian. Oh, Bulgarian. Well, I don't know then. Sh Ooh, is it Georgi? I like that better. Georgi? Because it's a man, right? Yeah, not yeah. Georgie. I think it's... Anyway. Georgi? We always mm, debate this. Not that one. Georgi? I'll like Georgi. Yeah. Um, hopefully you're right and I just don't... You just didn't make it up and I like sound stupid. Whatever. <laughs> okay. Georgi Markov. Markov. We're going to call him Markov. Okay. So he is a, was a Bulgarian writer, Bulgarian broadcaster. Um, he originally was a novelist and a playwright um, in Bulgaria, but he was defected in 1968. He was kicked out, exile. Um, a lot of his plays actually weren't staged because they were banned. Okay. Um, most of his plays that he wrote uh, were literally censored by communists. Um, so this is the 60s, 70s, a, I don't know how long the communist regime lasted in Bulgaria, but it ended in 1993. Okay. Um, so the communist Bulgaria at this point in time. So after he was essentially kicked out, uh, he relocated to England and he worked as a broadcaster there for the BBC World Service. Uh -huh. Um, so he used this platform um, for satire against the Bulgarian regime. Mm -hmm. In 1972, uh, well, he got, he got really popular. It was actually like a um, a weekly broadcast. Oh, that's cool. um, in 1972, about four years later, Markov's membership in the Union of Bulgarian Writers was suspended, and he was actually sentenced to six years and six months in prison. Um, but in absentia. In, a, in absentia, yeah. Yeah, which means he is just kind of a stamp and he doesn't have to serve time. Right, unless he... Physically. You know, unless he were to ever, like, go back to Bulgaria and then they would, like, snatch him. Yeah, or kill him. Oh, wait. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> that was dark. <laughs> Are you foreshadowing? <laughs> well, I mean, I said was in the beginning. That's true. That's true. So... Like I said, his works were center were um, censored. They're withdrawn from libraries, bookshops, um, and his name wasn't even mentioned by the official B Bulgarian me media until 1989. Wow. So much, much later, about math, 15, 16, 17 years. That's a long time. Um, during this time, the Bulgarian Secret Service opened up a file on him under the code name Wanderer. Hmm. So uh, as he's working in at the BBC World Service, he talked about life in communist uh, Bulgaria, and he specifically mentions the Communist Party leader, Todor Zikov. So 
he has a um, a book called The Truth That Killed, and here's a he's just he describes life under a totalitarian regime. Um, here's a quote from it. Today, we Bulgarians present a fine example of what it is to exist under a lid which we cannot lift and which we no longer believe someone else can lift. And the unending slogan which millions of loudspeakers blare out is what is that everyone is fighting for the happiness of others. Every word spoken under the lid constantly changes its meaning. Lies and truths swap their values with the frequency of an alternating current. We have seen how personality vanishes, how individuality is destroyed, how the spiritual life of a whole people is corrupted in order to turn them into a listless flock of sheep. Mm. Crazy. Yeah. Real. Very real. Um, so let's talk about the kill. September 7th, 1978. Um, a regular day uh, for Markov. He goes to the bus uh, um, to get to work. So he's waiting at a bus stop near the Waterloo Bridge in London. Suddenly, uh, as he's standing there, he feels a, a sharp pain stab him um, in his upper right thigh. He, he, he turns around, he sees a man picking up an umbrella who mutters sorry, and then he just walks away. Um, so it, it like, it, he, he described it like as a, like a bug bite, mm -hmm. like a bee sting or something sure. like that. Um, and throughout the day, he like noticed he had a sore that was starting to appear. Um, over the course of the day, he got sicker and sicker, and he was admitted to the hospital with a high fever, and then he died four days later, which is, it's just, like, very unsettling, right? Yeah. So, because he was suspected of being poisoned, they, Scotland Yard was like, we need a thorough autopsy, um, and so it was done the next day. Mm -hmm. uh, so... Because of heart failure, his lungs were full of fluid, um, damaged liver from blood poisoning, intestines, lymph nodes, and heart all had small hemorrhages, and um, there was an abnormally high white blood cell count. Um, so in his thigh, they found a 1.52 millimeter metal pellet, which as they looked closer, was revealed to be a jeweler's watch bearing that was used in precision watchmaking. So it was just a piece, random piece. The pellet had two tiny holes drilled on each side and creating an X-shaped well. Um, and they analyzed the metal, like the metal itself, and uh, it was a metal alloy consisting of platinum and iridium, which are two metals that uh, would not cause an immune reaction in the mm -hmm. body. Right. So they would, it wouldn't expel. The body wouldn't expel it, right? Is that what that means? Yeah. The, I so guess it'll stay in there? Yeah. Yeah. It, it wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't be like pushed out, you know, yes. or whatever. Yeah. Um, so the pellet had no trace of the poison that killed him, but uh, you're going to have to tell me, is it ricin or ricin? ricin. It's ricin? Okay. Ricin was guessed pretty early on. Mm -hmm. um, so ricin, naturally occurring uh, plant protein that can be found in castor beans, um, so rice and poisoning is characterized by slowly making you ill before it gives you a nice slow death. Um, 
Markov was in the hospital for four days before he died. Mm -hmm. um, so symptoms are a high white blood cell count, um, damage to lymph nodes and hemorrhages on the internal organs, um, a sore at the site of the infection as well with the poison. Scientists did an experiment to confirm that ricin was, in fact, the poison. So this is what they did. They injected a pig with the poison uh, for six hours. The animal was fine, but then it came down with a high fever and an elevated white cell count. And in 24 hours, it was dead. Mm -hmm. An autopsy on the pig showed the same internal damage at, that was found in Markov. Ricin was also suspected because... The Soviet Union has a history of using ricin in chemical warfare. Mm -hmm. Like they looked at they looked at his circumstance and they pretty much knew early on that this is what it was. He had been poisoned. So yeah. all he needed um to do was really prove it. Um there's no um like concrete evidence of ricin, but just the circumstantial evidence, I mean, in my opinion, says it all. Yeah, it doesn't. It wouldn't make sense for it not to be ricin. Exactly. Yeah. So, let's talk about the murder weapon. It actually has a name. It's called the Bulgarian Umbrella. So, I actually didn't know about this at all, and this is kind of what brought me to this, this story. Um, so, basically, it's an umbrella with a hidden, like, pneumatic mechanism inside which injects a small poisonous pellet that has the, the ricin in it. it. So, like, the the stalk of the umbrella is hollow, and the pellet just neatly sits there. Um, so it may have contained a cylinder of compressed air that fired the pellet through the, the like, stem part. Right. Um, and after the activation of, like, some kind of trigger mm -hmm. on the umbrella handle. So... I mean, I think it's pretty cool. <laughs> if we're talking about, like, fictional spy movies and stuff, like, it's... Right. If you look at it from that perspective, that's pretty badass. You could definitely see some, like, 007 villain, like, using this. You know? I mean, I think the Penguin kind Rainy of... Rainy day, isn't it? Right. <laughs> yeah, suddenly it's V for Vendetta. But, uh, this is very real. Very real. Yes. Very creepy. Like the, the pretty weird that somebody would think of that outside of a, a fictional setting, in I my know. opinion. It, it is pretty, like, fucked up. Like, it's one of the craziest murder weapons that I've definitely ever heard of. Yeah. Like, it's, yeah, it's, like, literally out of a movie or some shit. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, there's no concrete evidence for this, but... All of, there's all this circumstantial evidence to, to support it. So Markov said that after he was struck, a man with an umbrella was behind him, number one. Number two, where the wound was, the back of the upper right thigh, so it wouldn't be there if it had been shot with something else, like a compressed air gun, guns, quote-unquote mm -hmm. guns, that for, like, vaccinations. Sure. Um so not that. Uh, the wound would probably have been in the lower back or the lower shoulder if it was, like, level up with your mm -hmm. arm instead of, like, yeah. towards uh, the ground. 
So Christopher Green, the forensic psychologist working on the case at the time, said, quote, if an individual is carrying an umbrella with a spring-loaded or CO2-loaded cartridge in the tip, it would be very likely that the individual would swing the umbrella forward. It would be approximately at the thigh if you were following them mm -hmm. fairly closely, end quote. Markov's clothing is another piece of evidence. His jeans almost show no sign of, of damage at all. Um, the pellet wasn't deformed um, and, as it like went th through his leg, which eliminates the possibility that there was an explosive device. So it couldn't have been a gun, um, which would have caused burning in the pants and also damage to the mm -hmm. pellet. Obviously not the type of wound that it ended up creating. Right. So there's another level to this, and that uh, brings up Vladimir Kostov. So 10 days before this happened, before the incident involving Markov, an attempt was made to kill another Bulgarian exile named Vladimir Kostov in a Paris metro station in the same exact way. An identical metal pellet was found in Kostov's skin. Uh, he also came down with a high fever. He was hospitalized, but he recovered. And they said that only a small, like, amount of the poison actually got into his blood. Mm. And they think because it was damaged as it was shot. So something malfunctioned. And basically, oh, okay. he got lucky. Wow. Yeah. So, who done it? We kind of know... Um, but no one's ever been arrested for the murder. Um, many of the documents relating to his death have been destroyed. Mm. So all of this is very itself shrouded in, in questions in that no one knows what actually went down. No one knows what really happened. Yeah. Which is, which is weird. And we'll never know because like all the evidence is... Exactly. <laughs> been burned, whatever. Yeah. Fifty years ago. And the, who knows where all of this started? When when do you think assassins plan to kill people? How long do you think it takes? Do you think they were like, all right, here we go. Next week, <laughs> this is gonna happen. No, I think it takes a long time. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at least a few months before, if not like years. Yeah, I mean, to figure out the logistics of, like, going to a foreign country undetected, you know, bringing poison across international lines. Like, right. You know, and it's all, like, very... Very planned. Yeah, very well planned. So... And continues to happen, by the way. You know, I mean, we just heard about another suspect in the poisoning of Sergei and Yulia Skripal. Was that the father and the daughter? Yeah. Who went out father. to dinner and... Yeah, exactly. And okay. And were found on the park bench and all that. Like... They of... lived, though, right? Yeah, they both lived. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing how often people actually do live from these kind of, like, poisoning attempts or, you know, assassination attempts. It's crazy. Well, it's good that there's more attempts than successful ones. Yeah. Right. Yeah, I mean, obviously... It shouldn't be happening at all. <laughs> I mean, obviously, <laughs> yeah. obviously. Yeah. So, no one was officially arrested, um, but two KGB defectors, um, the Soviet Union 
uh, agency, investigate, whatever, the FBI for the Soviet Union. Uh, <laughs> these two guys, uh, Oleg Kalugin and Oleg Gordievsky, confirmed that it was, in fact, the Soviet Union that carried out the murder. Fun fact, the date of the assassination, September 7th, was the leader of the Bulgarian Communist Party, Todor Zikov's birthday. Uh, what a little shit. Yeah, a little birthday present for Todor. Oh, it's so sickening to me. Mm. The British documentary, The Umbrella Assassin, interviewed um, a lot of people connected to the case, actually all over the, the world, um, because um, after communist Bulgaria broke up, the Danish and the Americans were also involved. So they were also looking into stuff like this mm -hmm. as they took down the regime. So the British newspaper, The Times, reported that the prime suspect is an Italian named Francesco Guglino, who was last known to be living in Denmark. So he was nicknamed Piccadilly, and he was recruited by Bulgaria in 1970 after he was caught smuggling in some drugs. Okay. <laughs> which is kind of a funny tale, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, so I couldn't find much info about Guglino because, like, in order to get... The Times archives, I had to pay money, and I wasn't going to do that. <laughs> Not going to happen. Not going to do it. Um, Not going to be able to do it. But I found an article. But I found an article from the Daily Mail, which everyone knows is an amazing <laughs> source right. of news. Of course. Just so the, the It doesn't know. matter how many ads scroll across <laughs> the pages I read. Yeah. So it's a, it's a pretty busy website. Oh, God. It's say. like an eyesore. Right. Do better. No one likes that shit. Okay. But also Stay get your money. Yeah. So the Bulgarian security archives revealed mm -hmm. that... What did they reveal that? He was their only agent in London when Markov was murdered. This Francesco Guglino dude. Okay. According to the Bulgarian police reports, Guino made three separate trips to London between 1977 and 1978. He was also interrogated by British and Danish detectives after the fall of communism in Bulgaria in um, 1993. So that's where we know most of it. But he denies being involved in the case at all. And he, he continues to protest his innocence. And he's... Alive and well today, walking around Europe. Wow. Living a normal life and stuff. Wow. Yep. Which also seems to happen pretty often. Yeah. Where these the assassins themselves are like were just really well shielded by their home governments and just like never Yep, nothing ever happens to them. <laughs> Jeez. That's pretty crazy. Okay, my sources were Wikipedia, pages Georgie. 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 You'll float too. Is that how that goes? <laughs> You'll float too, Georgie. That's freaky. Hey, Georgie. Do you like balloons? Oh, stop that. Oh, that was a scary <laughs> movie. You'll float too. I can't believe I'm going to dress up as Pennywise, though, for Halloween. Oh, yeah. You've already done one Halloween costume, so. Yeah, but it was a mistake. <laughs> no. I don't want to think about <laughs> no how else, I went to no the bar. No one else was dressed up as anything. <laughs> I went to a Halloween party. That wasn't a Halloween party, I it, guess. Yeah. It dressed as Winnie the fucking Pooh. I mm -hmm. looked the cutest 
fuck. True. First of all. True. Second of all. You should post that picture. After. I almost did. You should. Remember, I was like, oh, crap. No, I'm not going to. You should. But, um, yeah. And then after that, we just, like, went out to the bars instead. So here I am, like, (laughs) drinking a cranberry and vodka dressed as freaking Winnie the Pooh. On October 6th or something. Hey, (laughs) hey. Spooky season all month, baby. Right. No, it's true. I'm Mario, and I don't like Halloween. What kind of... It's fine. How are... How are we together, even, if you don't like Halloween? Where Where did um, that... I like candy and horror movies. I just don't really like dressing up. I love dressing up. That doesn't make any sense that you don't like to play dress up. <laughs> uh, what, because I'm an actor? Yes. Yeah, I guess so. Because um, I'm an actor. Oh, uh, actor. Wait, what, what are your other sources? <laughs> um, the Daily Mail article by Tom Kelly. Uh, oh, a PBS, like, educational, like, little video uh-huh. series called Secrets of the Dead. And mm. a website called MurderMap.co.uk. Dot co dot UK. Oh, hello. Uh, okay. Okay. So, all right. 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 So don't move the computer. You don't do the thing. Don't move the computer. Okay. So I'm gonna do classic serial killer unsolved. The Cleveland Torso Murders. You guys, he didn't know about this until he was like, hey. And I was like, what do you mean you haven't heard of this? Yes, I had never heard of this one. Although now I'm given to understand that it is one of the most famous serial killer cases in the entire country. It's pretty popular. Throughout history. That's okay. But I've I've learned. There's so many. I've I've definitely learned a lot about it since I I was researching it this, this week. So I'm excited. Yes. So this happened in... The 1930s in Cleveland, um, which was, you know, emerging from the Great Depression. Um, but this particular area in which the murders happened was was still, you know, it, it was like the bad part of town. Okay. Right? It was the, the skid row. On skid row. <laughs> Gotta get out of skid row. Gotta um, Sorry. I played Seymour in uh, high school. You know what, Mario? I'm pretty because sure. Because I am an actor. The, I'm pretty <laughs> sure. We don't tell our fans a lot, but uh-huh. I'm pretty sure they know. I'm pretty, yeah, I've, I think I've mentioned it once, once or maybe <laughs> twice. Um, so this is a, a series of very gruesome unsolved murders that happened in Cleveland, Ohio, between uh, 1935 and 1938, although there may it may also have extended before and after that. It's it's very mysterious, actually, how many murders mm. are connected exactly to this. Mm. Um, but there were at least 12, and probably 13 that were connected to it, um, in which the victims were dismembered and, um, you know, beheaded, uh, decapitated, let's say. Um, and Do you... Sorry. Do you think... That's easy. No. You know how in in movies they just go, wham, is it actually like that? Well, it's not easy, but in this case, actually, it is kind of like that. Because part of the M.O. of, you know, the Cleveland Torso Murderer would came also to be known as the Mad Butcher of Kingsbury uh, Run. Ooh, ooh. 
Ooh. Yeah, which is is one of the more interesting, I think. I'd read that book. I'd watch that movie. Uh, And there are several books um, that are about this, obviously. Um, But yeah, the the, the M.O. of of the uh, Matt Butcher was partly one clean cut. And that's how most of the victims were killed, actually. It was just one clean cut through and uh, decapitated. Yeah. Um, And the the first um, victim, which actually... It wasn't really, like, linked to the Cleveland Torso murders for, like, two years afterwards. Oh. Um, which is kind of um, a weird thing about this one. But, um, like, most of the victims was never identified but was a woman in her mid-30s who came to be known as the Lady of the Lake um, because her body was discovered, like, in a lake. Um, Why were most of them not identified? What's it that about? It was just really hard to identify people back then. You know, they didn't have DNA testing. And also, a lot of the bodies were, like I said, like, mutilated. Um, and a lot of the victims were in you know, kind of the marginal, you know, uh, part of society, right? They weren't people oh. who had, you know, families looking for them or, like, a lot of records um, other than maybe prison records. Oh, so, okay. you know, the the uh, Mad Butcher preyed on people who, you know, were, were going to be hard to identify as well. Um, so this actually happened, well, the, at least the body was found on September 5th of 1934 by a young man on the shore of Lake Erie, uh, the lower half of the torso with the thighs still attached, you know, amputated at the knees, washed up on the shore and was found by this young man. Um, and like a lot of them as well, the head was never found. Therapy. So much <laughs> therapy after yeah, that. Right. Um, and another weird thing about this one was that there was a chemical preservative that was used on it that made the skin appear red and, like, leathery. Ew. Uh, which is very strange. Um, Do they and, know what it was? Yeah, it was a chemical preservative. Oh. Yeah. Um, used on, like, skin. Um, so the um, Lady of the Lake came to be known as victim number zero. Because she wasn't, you know, kind of identified as part of until the... Until after, later. Yeah. Right, right. So what was probably the third victim, but the second one that was found... And also one of the few that was actually identified was Edward Andrassy, who was a 20-year-old, uh, 28-year-old white male who had been arrested, uh, was rumored to be gay, mm. and really loved hanging out in this area of town called the Roaring Third. So Okay. Okay, so the, let's talk a little bit of geography, okay? So Kingsbury Run is this, like, prehistoric riverbed that runs through this part of Cleveland, right? So it's this Ohio. Like flat area, Cleveland, Ohio, right? And it kind of runs, you know, on East 90th Street. There's a part of town that's just to the east that's known as, was known then as the Roaring Third. That's where you had, you know, your bars, your brothels, your yeah. flop houses, your, your gambling, you know, your drinking, your fucking debauchery. You know, the, this was like the red light district of town. And that was right next to where a lot of the bodies were found and where a lot of the victims came from, including Edward Andrassy. Um, His body was found by two boys 
on September 23, 1935, at the base of Jackass Hill, which is an interesting name for a hill, I guess. Um, Maybe they used to sell donkeys on it in the olden days. Right, back in the olden days. Um, So this is at the corner of East 49th and Kingsbury Run. And the body had probably been there for about two to three days. Which is also kind of part of the MO. Usually the bodies aren't found until a little bit later. Um, Although that kind of changes as we go through here. So the uh, Edward Androssi had been decapitated and emasculated. um, And the head was actually recovered. And I believe this is one of the ones where a death mask was made, actually. A what? Yeah, a death mask. Uh, That's where you you uh, take, you know, a, a corpse, um, a person who's died, and you make an actual, like, plaster mold, usually, of their head, so you preserve their likeness forever. Um, which you can look up online. Chloe is super creeped out by them. <laughs> yeah, they're kind of creepy. And, oh, um, wow, that makes me really uncomfortable. Yeah. You know how there's things out there you didn't know existed? I didn't know that existed. I didn't know that this serial killer existed, so we learned new things all the time, I guess. Unsettling, terrible things. So Edward Andrasi, <laughs> his, um, he was uh, naked but for his socks. And what's also weird is the body had been cleaned and drained of blood. Okay, how... When I hear that, that is so... I, Weird to me. Mm-hmm. Doesn't that take a while? Yeah, and we'll we'll kind of get into into that late, later on when we get into the, like the investigation of the suspects and stuff, like a, a kind of an explanation of how like that could have happened. <sighs> there were also rope burns that were around both wrists, so clearly like Edward had been you know tied up as well, um, and the coroner found the cause of death to be decapitation, and this first you know. Uh, first victim, as far as they knew at that point, you know, was pretty representative of the MO of the, the Mad Butcher, as we'll we'll see with, like, all the victims. Um, so the second victim, but the third one that had been, that was found, um, was found on September 5th, 1934, which was actually the same day. Uh, so there were two found on the same day, and the second victim was about 30 feet away from the first and was a 40-year-old white male, probably was there for three to four weeks. Oh. And that's how we know it's the second victim, but the third one found. Right, So right. Edwin Andrasi only been there a few days. This victim been there for three to four weeks, but they're found on the same day, just to be clear. And this second victim was also decapitated and emasculated, and the skin was also treated with that same chemical agent as the Lady of the Lake. Um, mm. Which was part of how they linked them too. Right, that's right. pretty distinct. But not Edward Androssi, and, and not most of the victims. So it's a little strange. But you know why? You know, was it just those two at this point? So anyway, the fourth victim, um, who was actually also identified, was uh, Florence Polillo, and she was found on January twenty sixth, nineteen thirty six. Uh, and Florence was a waitress, a barmaid, a sex worker, you know, again, a, a person of the Roaring Third, um, you know, of that kind of, like, lower society in, in you know, scare quotes. Um, and only 
half of her body was found, actually, and it was, like, neatly wrapped up in newspaper. That shows remorse. And then, um, packed, and then it was, like, packed into, uh, two half-bushel baskets. Ooh. And, what? Yeah, there, there's, like, a, um, an illustration of this that I saw. Um, yeah, it's very strange, you know, it's like, you know, not apples, but, like, yeah, a person's body, like, wrapped up in newspaper. It's it's really weird. And we've seen this with other, like, you know, with the Thames Torso murders and stuff, where the killer will, like, not only dismember, but also, like, package. And there seems to be something, you know, some something with that. And we'll, we'll talk about, like, profiling in a little bit. Okay. So okay, because I feel like yeah, we'll, this we'll, is something we'll, I would definitely want to profile. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get into that. So the two baskets were actually left by Heart Manufacturing on Central Avenue, and this is kind of an escalation, right? That we'll we'll continue to see with the Mad Butcher of placing the remains in like really obvious places where they're going to be found. I think this is part of like the thrill of it for this killer, you know, again, when we, when we get into the profiling, the rest of the body, except for the head, which was never found, was, oh, um, yeah, was re recovered in a vacant lot nearby about 10 days later on February 7th, 1936. And again, the cause of death was found to be decapitation. And what's unusual about this victim is that the killer had waited for rigor mortis to set in before disarticulating the rest of the body, right? Before dismembering, for some reason, they had waited a longer amount of time until maybe, rigor Maybe they were had trouble hiding something. Yeah, it's, it's, you know? it's kind of, yeah, hard to know. Yeah, something changed, yeah, about the circumstance or the amount of time they had or something. Um, so the fifth victim, which was a 20-something white male, was found, again, by two boys... Um, close to the East 55th Street Bridge early in the morning on June 5th, 1936. And they found the head wrapped in a pair of trousers, which is also strange. Um, yeah, just like very, very weird. It's I mean, very psychotic, random behavior. Yeah, yeah it, seem, it seems random, but... I don't know, you have to wonder, like, in the mind of the killer, was there some kind of, like, secret purpose to this or reason for, I don't know. It's, it definitely seems very crazy from the outside. Um, the police found the rest of the body the next day in front of the Nickel Plate Railroad Police Building. Ooh. Yeah. Ooh. So, again, an es a definite escalation. And, again, the body had been cleaned and drained of blood. But there was no other mutilation to it. Um, and again, the cause of death was decapitation. And this victim actually came to be known as the tattooed man because he had six very distinct tattoos on his body. And of course, tattoos were much rarer back then. Right. And this actually inspired a DC supervillain who can use his tattoos to like attack people because they're, they're like made of this, um, special like kind of ink that I like, like that idea. Yeah, it's it's very it's very interesting. Um and I think there's actually like a, a couple of different ones. Yeah, if you, if you look up the tattooed man, you can kind of read more about that. Um and there was actually a death mask made of him as well. Ugh. 
and a diagram involving <clears throat> tattoos that was put on display at the Great Lakes Exposition of 1936. This was seen by more than 100,000 people, but there was no positive identification made. And that death mask, as well as like three others, are still on display at the Cleveland oh. Police Museum. So you could actually go to Cleveland and like see that actual death mask. No, thank you. Yeah, pretty crazy. So the sixth victim was a 40-year-old white male found by a teenage girl who had also been decapitated. And um, he was found on July 22nd, 1936. His head was recovered along with a pile of bloody clothes nearby, and he came to be known as the West Side Victim, because this was in kind of a little bit of a different part of town. And he had actually been dead for about two months. So, you know, again, the, this kind of pattern of kind of either leaving them and then they're found later, or starting to leave them in these, like, really obvious places. And what was also unusual about this victim, the sixth victim, is that clearly this victim was killed on site, which most of them were not. They know this because there's a huge amount of blood that was just, like, seeped into the ground. So they were like, oh, this must have, like, happened here. Um, so again, you know, did they, like, lose the place where they were doing it before? Or, like, something, you know, clearly changed in the circumstance. The seventh victim... My God, there's so fucking many of these. Uh, the seventh victim was a male in his late 20s who was found by a transient on September 10th, 1936. And the transient was going to go and, like, you know, ride the rails, and instead they found a body. Um, it was actually the upper half of a man's torso that was found first. And then a nearby pool, in quotation marks, it was really, like, kind of a cesspool, actually, was searched, and the lower half of the torso and parts of the legs were also found. And there were actually, like, over 600 people, like, watching the diver recover the remains. People were just, like, really fascinated by this, I guess. As people so often are by yeah. the, the morbid and, and the gruesome, right? Yeah, I'd be there. Uh, no, right. Proto-murderinos proto abound in that crowd. Abound. Also, maybe the killer, because that always happens, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, the cause of death, again, was decapitation. And as we talked about at the outset, it had been done with one clean cut. And the way that this was done, right, with, with the clean cut of the head and the disarticulation, dismemberment, it showed some skill, some f familiarity with human remains, so right? they think he was a, a doctor? Perhaps, yeah. Um... So at this point... Which is even freakier. Yeah. But I know. And there's one particular that we'll, we'll like talk about. Um, so by, by this point, there had been six killings in a year, right? Like, shit is getting fucking serious. But there's no suspects, no leads, no, like, evidence, really. Um, so the pressure was, like, mounting up, right? From the public, from the press, you know, all of the different newspapers in Cleveland... And the newly installed safety director, Elliot Ness, who you may have heard of. Right. He brought down Al Capone in Chicago, right? The movie The Untouchables is, like, based on him. Uh, I believe he wrote the book that it's based on. Um, so, anyway, he got more involved. He, like, took on the case, you know, kind of, like, personally. And there was really high hopes at that point that 
it would be quickly resolved, okay? You know, like, Elliot Ness is on the case now, so, like, it'll get done, right? Um, did not actually end up being the case, but anyway. Elliot Ness convened what he called a torso clinic. Sort of a meeting, you know, uh, uh, a coming together of all the different investigators to share information and to create the profile, right? Because now, like, this was a part of policing, that you, you try to figure out who is this person by kind of psychoanalyzing them based on their actions. And, um, yeah, let, let's get into that a little bit. Like, what, what is kind of, like, the profile of this person? Well, first of all, I think what's interesting is that they don't seem to discriminate between ages, sexes, races at all, which is pretty unusual in terms of the serial killer. Right. So, right. um... What is consistent, though, within the victims is that they were involved in this, like, roaring third life, right? They were sort of marginal, poor sex workers, um, you know, people who just kind of, like, wouldn't be missed, right? Which, again, we we do see in a lot of serial killers, um, where they, they prey on, you know, kind of, like, marginal people. Yeah, victimology is a huge thing mm-hmm. with, I mean, investigations in general, so... Right. Definitely. So, I think what we can assume is that the Mad Butcher had some kind of regular dealings with these people, right? Whether they themselves lived in that area or worked in that area, um, they just had, you know, some regular contact with these types of people, clearly. Because we, we tend to kill the people who are around us, right? It's just, like, human nature when, when people ah. kill which is we very unusual. Speak for yourself. The human race, you know. I mean, this, it's a something. It's it's a thing that <laughs> the human beings do, unfortunately. But we have to acknowledge it, right? Um, so the the ammo, right? The modus operandi of the mad butcher um, decapitates, dismembers bodies, typically moves the bodies, sometimes drains the blood. Sometimes Ew. cleans or packs the body parts. Ew. Um, leaves the bodies in places that they would be discovered. May have drugged or immobilized some of the victims. So seems to have had some medical, you know, physiological knowledge. So all of this seems to point to kind of like a, a product killer, a thrill killer. Someone who, you know, get, sort of gets off on the... Um, what 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 the the kill ha- what the effect that the kill has on other people? So not the act of the kill itself. It doesn't seem so. I mean, it it seems like you know with that clean decapitation that the killer got it over with as quickly as possible. Who was the who would be the kind of person who like liked the kill itself? Who would like the kill itself? Yeah. And- what kind of I I don't know. I just want an example because I'm curious. Um, yeah, somebody like, like Jack the Ripper, you know, where, you know, that it's like very visceral and like, you know, or, um, the Axeman of New Orleans. Right, right. You know, any axe killing or, um, you know, someone who, you know, kills by strangulation and things like that, where it's more personal. More personal, okay. Yeah, this seems like it was more just like, get it done. Um, would think probably the Mad Butcher would be a male, um, uh, almost certainly had some kind of medical training, and, like we were talking about, may have actually been a doctor in the area. 
I mean, that would kind of like make that would a lot make of sense, sense, right? It would solve a lot of these mysteries. And we'll get into the suspects at the end. So at this point, you know, they were trying to get a little more serious with it, right? Elliot Ness coming in, giving it that personal touch. Also, they put the uh, they put two detectives on the case full time, who went undercover in like Kingsbury Run and the Roaring Third. My dream, you know, going amongst the you know mostly vagrants and like you know um, lower class people, so to speak, and trying to get information. They the detectives interviewed more than fifteen hundred people by the end. Of the investigation, the five-year investigation, the Cleveland Police Department had interviewed more than 5,000 people. Jesus. This was the biggest investigation in Cleveland history. Oh, my God. And yet, obviously, there was no positive identification made, right? Freaky. So, in November 1936, there was also a new coroner, Sam Gerber. And, and if, you, if you don't know too much about, like, the American system, the coroner is the person who determines the cause of death. So it's, it's a super important person in, like, murder investigations because essentially they're saying this was a murder or was not a murder. Right, right. And how did it actually happen? So they're, they're like, a really integral piece. Um, Sam Gerber brought in, you know, new expertise and energy to the investigation. He was, like, a lawyer, a really good doctor. So, again, there was this kind of, like, renewed enthusiasm about, you know, that the, the investigation would wrap up. Unfortunately, though, the victims continued to pile up. Um, the eighth victim, a woman in her mid-twenties, was found by a man on the shore of Lake Erie, just east of Brotnall, on February 23rd, 1937. The upper half of the torso was found first. The lower half of the torso didn't wash up until about three months later which is kind of crazy. And what was unusual about this victim was that the cause of death was actually not decapitation. I believe that might actually be unique. The ninth So vi- how do they know she was related? Oh, because well, of the because torso. Well, because it's, in, it's a, the torso, it's you know, the it's, it's in the same area. It's at the same time. So it, it seems like, although, you know, just as with any of these, multiple killers is always a possibility, too. So the ninth victim was a 40-something black woman identified tentatively as Rose Wallace. I say tentatively because this was based on dental records, which are not really, like, able to be verified. But they think it was probably her. And she was found by a teenage boy, um, Mm -hmm. found actually the skull under Lorraine Carnegie Bridge on June 6th, 1937, with a lot of her bones in a burlap bag sitting ah. nearby. It's very strange. And, and again, there, there's clearly this, like, element of staging that the killer, you know, meant for the body to be found in, like, this certain way. Um, that seems like it's clearly like, part of what's going on here, right? The tenth victim, a 30-something man, was found by a young, um, like, National Guardsman who was actually, like, on guard keeping peace during a labor dispute in this area at this time. And he saw pieces of a body floating in the Cuyahoga River on July 6th, 1937. The rest of the body, except for the head, which was never recovered, 
was pulled from the water over the next few days. Why is it that heads are never recovered? I mean, not never, but that's like a thing. Probably because the killer was keeping it as a prize, you know, something of that nature. Oh, that's even worse. Yeah, or, you know, there was some, like, special significance to how they, what they did with it. Who's to know, right? And uh, this victim, the tenth victim, also represents an escalation. Because the abdomen had actually been gutted out and the heart ripped out. So there's something else going on here, right? Um, The eleventh victim, an unidentified woman, was found by a young laborer on the banks of the Cuyahoga River on April 8th, 1938. At first, they thought that it was just like a dead fish, but it turned out to be the lower half of a woman's leg. Oh, God. Yeah. And um, two burlap bags containing more, you know, body parts of this of this person of this victim were pulled from the river about a month later. You know, again, the, 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 I'm sure the killer intended this to happen, right? Where it's just like re traumatization. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, um, what was unusual about this victim, the eleventh victim, is that there were drugs found in their system which was not the case for the other ones, although, again, the blood had been drained from some of them, too. So I don't know at that point if they would, you know, in the 1930s, been able to know. But anyway, um, it's not really known, though, if these drugs were used to, like, immobilize the victim or if they were just drugs that the victim was using. Um, The arms were never actually found, so they couldn't tell if there were any, like, um, you know, needle marks needle or marks, anything. Yeah. Yeah. So unfortunately, so the twelfth victim, uh, we're almost through. <laughs> okay, the twelfth victim, an unidentified woman, was found by three scrap collectors on August sixteenth, nineteen thirty-eight, and the torso was actually wrapped in a man's double-breasted blue blazer, and then wrapped in like an old quilt. So, again, something a little bit different going on here. And the legs and the arms were found in a newly made box wrapped in brown butcher paper and held together with rubber bands. These are all very different. Yeah, the, the staging of the body, it's always, like, slightly different. But but it's sort of the same idea, right? Yeah, or, clothing. Yeah. Wrapped in clothing. Yeah. Or, you know, put inside of a box or a bag. Yeah. You know, not just, like, left out. The head was actually found wrapped in the same way, like, with, with uh, the brown butcher paper. And what was also weird about this one is that they said the body parts may have been refrigerated. So this this body may have been had it for longer, I'm not sure. The 13th victim, this is the last one that we're going to specifically talk about. <laughs> so the, the 13th victim... An unidentified man was found actually nearby on the same day. So the first and second victims found were found on the same day near each other, and the twelfth and thirteenth victims were also found on the same day near one another. This victim, the thirteenth victim, had been decapitated, and the head was actually found in a big can. Do we know if they're... T- like time of death was similar, like between the twelfth and thirteenth, and the the tenth and or whatever. Well, the first and the second one, if you'll recall, the second uh, victim found 
was dead about two to three weeks, whereas the first victim found was dead for about two to three days. But what about these ones? Do we know? This one it did not mention, but to me, it seems that probably the 12th was killed before the 13th, but it's not really clear. But um, this one actually... The bodies were found in plain view of Elliot Ness's office <gasps> window. Yeah, which seems like the killer this guy would probably is around. That. Yeah, so it's like taunting, you know, kind of like pushing, you know, Ness, like, hey, like, catch me, like, you know, I'm right here. Why do. No one knows. <laughs> no, but I, I think. If, if this person is, like, a thrill killer, right, they're doing it for, like, the adrenaline rush of it, right? Yeah, go um, on a fucking roller coaster, okay? <laughs> right. I just... <laughs> but I think, you know, part of that is probably that doing the same thing, you don't get the same thrill, right? You don't get the same rush the next time. So they have to, like, keep escalating, and this seems like that was part of it. This also seems like it kind of pushed Ness like, past the brink of maybe, like, good sense, or, or just, like, yeah, because he, he he did this thing that was kind of fucked up, actually. So he took 35 officers to raid this kind of, like, quote-unquote hobo jungle in Kingsbury Run, rounded up 63 men, searched all the shacks, found nothing, uh. and then he ordered all the shacks to be burned. <gasps> And the men arrested for homelessness. <gasps> Is yeah. that a thing? No. I mean, it, no, not not really. But it was then, for sure. Jesus. So Ness was obviously like heavily. That's not cri- fair. No, no, it was not good. Um, heavily criticized for this at the time, like in the press, people saying like this didn't really do anything good. You know, it didn't like advance the investigation. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, the killings do seem to have stopped after this point. Not that that had anything Not to that, do with it, yeah. but they happened to coincide. So at this point, the investigation had been going on for five years. There were two arrests made, and we'll talk about those uh, people, but no positive identification was ever made of the killer. And it, it's still you know, a mystery to this day. But um, the two main suspects, uh, first I'm going to talk about Frank Dolezal. So Frank Dolezal was a 52-year-old bricklayer um, who lived in the area, right? Lived in Kingsbury Run and had previously lived with the fourth victim, uh, Miss Polillo. Oh, okay. So that they, he was like initially a suspect because of that. He was also found to have been friends, or at least acquaintances, with the other two known victims, Edward Andrasi and Rose Wallace. So, essentially, they were like, oh, this must be the guy. Like, he's linked to all the victims, right? Or all the ones we know who they are, at least. He did confess to the crime, but it was probably coerced. Like, he said that it was coerced, and it was actually found that he had six broken ribs that he (gasps) suffered while in custody. Now, this was found by an autopsy because he was actually found dead by hanging in his cell before the trial started. Maybe he did do it. Well, it's also not totally clear if he actually hung himself or if it was just made to look that way. So yeah, the, the way that the setup was it, he was like only five feet, seven inches off the ground. 
and he was five feet eight inches tall. What does that mean? What that means is it's not clear, like, if he would have had, like, the leverage to actually, like, hang himself. So it, it, it may have, like, been staged, is, is kind of the implication there. Yeah. So it, it's not known. Um, but the, the other uh, suspect, his name is Francis Sweeney, and he was actually a doctor in Cleveland at the time. Mm. So this is the, the doctor hypothesis, right? Um, he had also been a medical soldier in World War I responsible for field amputations. So we know he had some Limbs. practice and dismemberment. That also could be some, like, start some crazy PTSD-type right. behavior where it goes to the extreme. Exactly. You know? It, exactly. It could, it could offer some kind of explanation. So he was actually a suspect favored by Elliot Ness, but that was kept a secret for, like, decades. Why? Well, probably partly because his cousin, Martin Sweeney, was a powerful congressman at the time in the area. Uh, who, politician. Yeah, who allegedly put pressure on Elliot Ness to basically let Francis go and like not look into it, not really pursue it. There also was no actual evidence that ever emerged that like linked him to the crimes. Mm. There was just no evidence, really, in general. What there was, though, were two polygraph tests that were administered to Francis Sweeney, both of which he failed. And these were actually performed by Leonard Keeler, who was, like, the inventor of the modern polygraph. Now, I should say polygraph tests are not really indicative of anything, necessarily. You can't admit them in court. Um, but it's, it, you know, it, it says something, I guess. It's as much as we'll ever really know. And, uh, Leonard Keeler was definitely convinced that, like, Sweeney was the killer. Um, Sweeney was also an alcoholic. Allegedly, he was also abusive to his wife and his sons. We know, you know, domestic abuse and, uh, serial killing or just murder in general are very strongly linked, mm -hmm. uh, like, statistically. Um... He would also reportedly disappear, just disappear for days at a time. So there's that, too. Um, he also had access, at least for a time, to a facility um, at, like, a, um, at a funeral home where he could have drained the blood of bodies and uh, dismembered bodies. Yeah, I never... Without, like, really any suspicion. You have really to have a place suspicion. to do that. Right, exactly. I never thought about that. And this seems like he, he would have had access to that place um, through, like, friends of his. He was also, like, staying there, basically, like, in the upstairs for a while after he and his wife separated. And that's, like, right around when these things happened. He was diagnosed with schizophrenia in 1956 and, like, hospitalized. And he, has, he also, like, sent these weird, like, cryptic postcards to Elliot Ness, like, taunting him about all this. He seems like, like until the most likely guy. It seems like pretty clear, like, that's probably who it was. But it'll never be, like, actually proven. Um, so, yeah, the, it was probably Francis Sweeney, in all honesty. But we'll never really know. Yeah. So, yeah, this just, like, remains, like, we were talking about at the beginning, one of the most, like, mysterious serial killer cases in American history. Yeah. Yeah, this is, like, definitely one of the big ones. 
and it's not necessarily even just those 13 victims, right? This um, killer may have also been responsible for some other killings, both before and after this. Um, well, I guess right around the same time and after. So there was one headless man found in a boxcar in Newcastle, Pennsylvania on July 1st, 1936. There were three headless victims found in different boxcars in McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania on May 3rd, 1940. And they also think that the Mad Butcher may also have been the murder swamp killer, so-called, who um, killed and dismembered several bodies and left them in swamps near Newcastle, Pennsylvania between 1921 and 1934, and also between 1939 and 1942. So there could have been a lot more victims, actually. That seems really stretched out. Yeah. Um, I don't know about that, but it's also pretty weird. Yeah, that there's just like all these kind Could of like similar really killing killing for that long. I mean, yeah, it's yeah, happened. Yeah, I think so. Um, and the Mad Butcher may also have killed one last time, actually. So Robert Robertson, a 41 year old man, was found decapitated in a business on Davenport Avenue in Cleveland on July 22nd, 1950. He had actually been dead like six to eight weeks. Oh wow! And his killing like, pretty strongly matched the M.O. of the Mad Butcher and was linked very heavily in the press to the Cleveland Torso murders from, you know, 15, 20 years before at that point. Yeah. The victim also matched the profile, right? Estranged from his family, he had an arrest record, he had drinking problems, but the detectives on the case just never really, like, looked into it. So we'll, we'll never really know about that one either, but could have actually been active from 1921 to 1950. So this, it, wow. it could even be, like, a, a bigger one. Cool. So, I mean, not cool. That's terrible. <laughs> Murder's not good. Um, Fascinating. So, right. So, the, so my so bizarre. <laughs> uh, very, very bizarre. Very gruesome. Um, yeah, just one of these, like, crazy, crazy serial killers. It's definitely one of those. I feel like the, the ones that are really gory and the ones that are specifically horrible just like make the the why so much more frustrating and like mm -hmm. what uh, uh, what like <laughs> why would anyone do anything yeah like yeah who knows definitely not me um so my sources uh were the torso murders page on ClevelandPoliceMuseum.org by Dr. James J. Badal. That was like where most of my info came from. Um, also, an interview with Dr. Badal uh, in Cleveland Magazine by Eric Tricky. Uh, the Torso Murders page on Encyclopedia of Cleveland History. Christopher Hudspeth at BuzzFeed. BuzzFeed! Uh, BuzzFeed. Buzz, buzz. Um, an article called Photo Gallery, The Notorious Torso Murders in Cleveland on news5cleveland.com, uh, Katie Serena at allthatsinteresting.com, and, of course, the Wikipedia, Wikipedia. page. Wikipedia. Cleveland Torso Murderer. Uh, so, yeah, that's my story for this week. Wowee. Murdery. Very murdery. You know what? I think it's time for weird, weird shit in the news. news. Weird shit in the news. That's harmonizing. Right. 
I mean, okay. make a good team. Okay, so I've got a good one. Cool, go. I, I've got a good one. So, who, who, he, who, ha. The title of the article is Moray Rapist Who Tried to Cheat Justice by Claiming He Was Too Fat to Appear in Court Died of Heart Disease. Mm. Yeah. So, it's just like ironic. And also, this guy's one nasty ass motherfucker. He was, uh, he preyed on a string of young girls in the 60s and 70s and was jailed for seven years in. In 2015. So they had a special sitting. Um, this is in, uh, in England. Uh, so they had like a special sitting just for him because uh, he tried to claim he was unfit to stand trial and that he he couldn't travel. He's like just this morbidly obese, nasty ass dude who's 24 stone, which is 336 pounds. He's a Whoa. big, big dude. Yeah, so he was convicted of raping two children and sexually assaulting three others during a, quote, remorseless campaign of uh, abuse. So his sentence hearing was held in a court basement, so he didn't need to climb the stairs. <laughs> uh, and, yeah, he was found dead in his cell in Glenockill Prison in Clackmannanshire. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Fuck that guy. Right. I just think it's like, I'm too fat. Wah, wah. <laughs> Boo yeah. fuckity who. You weren't too fat to commit crimes, right? Yeah. So, um, mine, it, it's, okay, it's this weird thing. We don't really know what happened, right? So, Jamal Khashoggi, he's like a, a journalist, um critic of the Saudi Arabian uh, monarchy who actually used to be like a like in with the monarchy like back in the day but he's since like exiled or whatever self-exile and he was living in Turkey so he went to the Saudi um, embassy I guess or consulate in Istanbul and Never came out again. Oh, that's so weird. Yeah, and that's no so one spooky. knows what happened to him. Like, he was there to get some, like, license or something so he could get married to his Turkish fiance. Yeah. And she was outside waiting for him for, like, 12 hours. Oh, my God. And he just never came out. I, like, can't even imagine. Yeah. There were also these, like, 12 to 15 Saudis who flew into Istanbul on that same day and then flew out. Like immediately, and they think, you know, the authorities think that they may have had something to do with it. Um, but no one really knows, yeah, if Khashoggi is, like, dead or alive, if he got, like, taken back to Riyadh, the capital of Saudi Arabia, or if he was, like, killed there. This is, like, not clear at all what happened, but it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's very strange. Um, and obviously very tragic, like, you yeah. know, people don't deserve to be, like, fucked with just because they're, like, pointing out the flaws in power or, like, what they perceive to be. Like, yeah, they don't deserve to be shot with a an umbrella gun. Exactly. But, like... And, and that's what I was thinking about, too, when you were telling about yours, was it, it kind of linked up, right? And we've talked about so many of these people, right? Like, Boris Nemtsov... Litvinenko. You know, Alexander Litvinenko. You know, just, like, these people who speak truth to power and 
know that it's putting them in harm's way, but do it anyway. And like, yeah, those people are, are like truly heroic. Um, and uh, unfortunately sometimes they end up getting disappeared, you know, that's, we'll see what happens with, with this. It's still a very like emerging story. Right. right. When, when did it happen? It was um, October 2nd. Oh, okay. So, yeah, so it was like less than a week ago. Yeah, so keep an eye on it. We'll, we'll see what comes out. But, I mean, hopefully he's found alive. But at this point, you know, it doesn't look good, unfortunately. Yikes. Yeah. So, yeah, on that happy note. On that note. Yeah, that's an episode. Episode 41. Thanks, Yay! Thanks for listening, you guys. For real. Um... Follow so us on much. Instagram, Mystery Murdery Thingy. All right. Go to our Patreon page. Please donate. No one's donated yet. <laughs> Which, I mean... I mean, you know, it's a free podcast, but, you know, we, we would appreciate, you know, just like a dollar. Just a dollar. We'll just give you a, a shout-out. Yeah. Give you a little shout-out on Instagram. Give you a shout-out on the pod. Right. Um, That'd be cool. It'd be pretty cool. That'd be pretty cool. Pretty, 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 pretty cute. Picky. Yep, yep, yep. But if you don't want to, that's okay. <laughs> okay, good night, y'all. Good night. Goodbye.